The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello everybody, welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, a Red Dwarf review podcast featuring myself, Adam Martin, and as always, my co-host... Phil Hawkins, that is me, hello. That is, that is he, and hello. we are we are back with another episode, we're on Series 7, Phil, we're on Series, series 7. Series 7, um, yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, we did not have to wait three years, I'm still going on about Could this, you because frankly, yeah. um, I'm still bitter about this, like, what is it, 25 years later? Very bitter. <laughs> the, the fact that I had to wait three years after the end of series six's cliffhanger to get to this point and see that what happened next i'm still bitter about that 25 years later well thankfully our listeners don't have to wait that long as you say we are here with episode one of series seven tika to ride so after a free a three-year gap i must admit phil i was quite curious going into this but we'll get more into that but the synopsis for you all is the crew find themselves are resurrected due to the time paradox resulting from the battle with their future selves. However, it results in a greatly upgraded and much larger Starbug, but the curry supplies have gone missing, and so Lister devises a sneaky plan to Not get Not the back. curry supplies. Not the curry. Um, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, um, we got like Lister doing his little found footage thing, and the look of the series immediately oh, looks it different. looks so cinematic um, compared to everything that's come before it doesn't it well uh the a reason i uh, the first of my facts today i told phil before recording i'd found some facts um apparently for this series and i'm assuming going forward as well uh most of it was just shot with one camera as you would have uh, filmed okay um and also even though it was still shot on videotape um it was then digitized to make it look more like a film so, yeah, you're right, though. Like, literally from the get-go, at least my man was like, ooh, like, well, this looks very slick in comparison. Not that the other series looked bad, but it looked a lot slicker compared to the last six that we've gone through. Um, yeah, and it's just, it, it must have been weird. For, like, what did you, because we'll start there. What did you feel at the time? Can you remember this coming out, like, back in 97? Very vaguely. Um, 97. Yeah. So what, what time of year did it air? Again, uh, January. January. So, okay. Year, so yeah. I would have been, I would have been eleven, um, mm. and I can't. I can. I can vaguely remember it. I remember being excited about it coming back because I'd gotten into the show about three years earlier in series six at some point, seen it, and in the intervening three years, I had watched some repeats. So I'd mm. caught not not in any particular order, just random episodes here and there. So yeah. I kind of knew bits of the story, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I was quite excited about finding out what was going to happen. Um, and I, in terms of the actual plot, like I remember being like, "Oh!" In terms of how they resolve the cliffhanger, yes. <laughs> because obviously I hadn't quite gotten used to how Red Dwarf does these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, I, now we know that they yeah. will quickly like if they if they leave something on a big cliffhanger more than likely the next episode is going to have a very quick, oh yeah, this is how we'll explain that away. And to be fair, I think this one does it in the most interesting way. Because we've kind of had this three times now with this. We've had this with 
the time when the Holly comes up and says, "Oh yeah, all of, uh, in when Holly used to do the intros to each episode." Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he didn't really pass that test. Larks. Haha. <laughs> then we have the massive fast scrolling thing that explained away a load of plot that had happened the episode before mm. that nobody would have been able to read in the 90s. And now we've got this. And I think this one does it best, I think. Yeah, at least it explains it a little bit. Like we have um, we have Lister going around with his camera, basically giving us relaying the events of the end of series six. And in fact, we get a flashback, which was quite interesting to see. Although I've got to say, why? Do, I, I know when like shows like this do flashbacks, they put like a, you know, they'll put a filter on it or make it look different from what, you know, to indicate that it's in the past. But it to me, at least on my screen, well, a, it seems like they cropped it and then they put the most disorientate well not disorientate it was just a very ugly filter like and i don't know why they did that yeah yeah i don't know what you thought uh, my again like my i don't know my screen just felt like it got smaller during the flashback i was a bit like oh i think is- because it was meant to be that that was a file he was attaching it was kind of in universe that we were getting uh, this as well I see. it was a file he was attaching to the recording so it was kind of playing i guess as a low res like black box recording of what had happened. Yeah. Oh, that makes more sense. I, I think my eyes were just like, whoa, like what's <laughs> what happened here? But yeah. um as you say, we are carrying on directly from the end of series six, which is nice. And yeah, it's the most explanative, if if that's a word. It's they they explain it the most out of the ones we've had so far. But even then, they I I, I think they're sort of like I took it like they're poking fun at it as well. You know, towards the end when Lister is explaining like how the time paradoxes work. Yeah, like how the, and oh, then, then they did this and they did that, da, 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 you know. And then what does it? Uh, what does it? Crichton says, "Garbled, confusing, and quite frankly, duller than an in-flight magazine produced by Air Belgium." Now, just state our position and explain we're down on supplies. Yes, yeah. Which is probably <laughs> yeah. like what a lot of the audience are thinking. Like, are they okay? Okay, you got. And that's what they're poking fun at. I think the fact these techno babble expositions you get in sci-fi can sometimes drag a bit and be a bit boring. Let's get to the fun yeah, stuff. When you chuck a load of words, yeah, exactly. And uh, an- another fun fact for this series, if you like, just because you mentioned the audience, this apparently was the time where the studio audience was removed, and oh, the okay. laugh track was the laugh track was added uh, during screenings of the finished episodes. That's so I interesting that was a... because I mm. uh, before when they've had to do that for technical reasons, we've noticed a real dip in the energy levels of the cast. Yeah, I didn't notice that here. Do you think maybe that's because? I guess for them, they've had three years away from it. Maybe it's like that renewed energy of coming back to this world, these characters after... Because I guess before, they were only having like a few months break between each yeah, series. Yeah, it could be. So. It might also be the the difference in filming style, I suppose, when you're doing multi-camera and you're yeah. used to being having an audience in that setup. It's mm. very different. Like the Because the sets look so much more detailed as well. They look so yes. much more sort of wider and expansive and and so maybe they felt they could get more into the into the universe into like yeah. feeling the role type a bit more than yeah. than the setup that you'd have when you mm. when you have to have that big open space for the That's audience it. yeah and every everything like you say has had a bit of like a redesign i'd say nothing nothing too massive but you as you say you can tell that starbug has expanded and and all their like costumes have changed you know been altered ever so slightly it's it's a nice little refresh and um 
one of the new things, of course, is the titles, which give us sort of little previews of what's to come. I was um, going to ask you about this, because how much did you feel this spoil? Because there, there were potentially some spoilers in this title sequence. Uh, did it, did well, you feel it spoiling you for the series to come or did it tease you for not, the future to come? N- it teased me because my obviously my perspective is I've never seen these episodes before. So if there was something spoilery in there, I didn't know that. Maybe when mm. we see them as we go through this series, I'll go, oh yeah, why you know why did they put that in the title sequence? But this one at least, I was like, okay, I'm I'm there, you know there's some funny shots there. I'm interested, but no, I wouldn't say I felt spoiled by anything. It's it was just more of like a, a more of a lead in. Although in that uh, title sequence, we uh. There's some CGI in there. Um, there's some there's some CGI, and it seems the time has finally come, Phil. This the time is, has arrived. This is the moment. The dodgy '90s CGI. And do you know what? Uh, just to I guess cover the whole thing now. The, the shots we see, mainly you know, Starbug going around the planets and stuff. You know, you see it, and obviously we're in 2021. And I was like, okay, it was 1997, different time. But even I don't know. It just thinking of what else was being achieved not i'm not talking like you know 100 million dollar movies like just on tv shows in 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 that time period i, I think i don't know it, it still looks i'd argue it still looks a bit ropey even for 97 a little bit you yeah think, possibly like... i i must admit i didn't pay too much attention to what was in the title sequence in mm. terms of the cgi so i'll keep an eye on it going forward yeah uh, it's also the, they had two or three shots in the episode just of you know like starbug whizzing around space and stuff true and, yeah i mean yeah. nothing stood out to me this episode as horrifically bad no so... no it was just more like a oh okay that's uh yeah so I, I again listeners yes i know it was 25 years ago but yeah there was just some <laughs> there was just some in me that was like even for 97 you know at that level i maybe thought they could have there could have been something else but never mind yeah but that's the cg yeah. part out the way everything is wonderfully practical and real from here on that out is the while we're on the sh- talking of the ship and stuff mm. um it is apparently due to this paradox bigger than it was before yes and they've got whole new areas of the ship which we get to see i mean even very early on when he's recording with with the handheld camcorder mm. uh huge handheld camcorder for the future given the fact that you know now in the 21st century we have much better quality phone cameras on our phones than we than he had did. there yeah, yeah. um but he's going right there's quite a lot of set there's corridors there's lots more sets i was gonna to say that we usually have the b-deck set stuff looked incredible like those vast like uh that hallway they walked down with like the mist on the floor and the and, and yeah the fan. some kind of like turbine thing i was like it. this stuff looks great i was like we've had some money put in here like that was yeah no that was a real highlight. yeah i'm from from a set i, I mean obviously we were talking about ropey dodgy cgi but from a from a practical set perspective, it the quality has gone up massively with this series, I think. Absolutely. And it, it's nice to see that they've been able to do that because I think in certain series past with some sets, very rarely, but, you know, because, like you say, of budget, they've resorted mm. to blue screen, which had mixed success, I think we said, even for back then. So it's nice to see that now they've finally got the budget for, like... Cause it's only a short scene, them walking through B-Deck, but it's... It, it makes so much difference that you can tell that it's real. They're actually walking down it than them just, you know, walking against something that's clearly not there. It's It was a real highlight, actually. I know it's such a small part of the episode, but it was a great highlight, I thought. Um, but we get to the crux of what's going on. Lister's really upset because um, all of the 
Indian food supplies have been lost. That means no curry of any kind, no poppadoms. They also got no lager. So Lister's having a little, uh, little bit of a panic. Um, and is, uh, despite the horrific events of what happened at the end of Series 6, he's perfectly up for taking the time drive again and, and to get the curry, to which all the others are pretty opposed at first, which was, uh, you know, not, uh, interesting to see for their characters, you know, like that this moment of how these events had, like, traumatised them so much that they, you know, everyone bar Lister was willing to unite against him in that. Even, like, Cat, who's normally yeah. with him, you know, in these sorts of plots or whatever. Yeah, it was not... But maybe that's because they all technically... Well, Lister did as well, but I was about to say maybe it's because they all died, but then Lister was the first to die. But yeah, I just, I really liked that. It was a nice, nice bit of character work, I thought. It's, it's, as he says at one point, he's addicted to curries. And this is, he's displaying, you know, the stereotypical thing that Alex might do in trying to justify what, in order to get what they, what they feel they need, mm. you know, dismissing any, anything bad that might come out of it. Yeah. You know, he knows realistically that uh yeah time drive equals them becoming horrible people in the future but maybe maybe it wouldn't maybe this time it would be different that's uh that's quite a an addict's way of thinking and he does refer to himself as a a curry addict yes to refer to the current marvel trend what if that is the question he's asking himself what if um but one of my funniest potential funniest lines came in this whole opening bit when uh, him and lister and Crichton go to the main control deck and they talk about the curry and rimmer's like we know we thought we'd have a moment's flatulence it's a very childish <laughs> joke but it just uh, chris barry's delivery just got me he does that a lot like he a lot of the lines sometimes can come across as like if you read them on paper, you could say, oh, that's quite childish or a bit juvenile. Or what. But it's the way in which he delivers. It catches you completely off guard. So I just wanted to mention that. It was one of my funniest moments of the episode. Yeah. What we're mentioning, uh, Rimmer, actually, I was going to say, I, I think this does, episode does a good job of continuing the character development he had at, right at the end of that last episode. Because I mentioned this in, in our last podcast that, it felt like he had grown as a person at the end there and, you know, mm-hmm. he was being courageous and stuff. And I think here he it doesn't fall back on the let's make Rimmer a git. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember if they're going to do that again in, in, in another episode. But here they don't seem to fall back on that. You know, he has his slightly slight snide remarks once. doesn't fall yeah. back on being a complete cowardly git again. That's it. And at, at he's some quite point, reserved he in that respect, isn't he? And it? he's yeah. quite sensible in some places as well you know he's making the sensible point about the time drive and things like that and it feels like he has this is him having grown uh still and they're actually yeah. honoring that that thing at the end of the last series which is nice well fingers crossed that they uh they keep to that as we've said sometimes red dwarf has a funny habit of doing one thing one week and then completely forgetting about it the next week so we'll we'll see how long it holds um but in all these shenanigans, Crichton announces he's going to uh, clear some of his memory. He's got, you know, the Bay City Rollers, uh, one of my mum's favourite bands. He doesn't need their their greatest hits anymore, amongst other things. And then Lister sees as an opportunity. So whilst Crichton's uh, doing that, he's sort of switched off. He swaps his head, which is a great little sequence in itself. And can, well, and from that is able to convince Crichton to join his time travel quest now because yeah, we've seen the spare heads before haven't we um it, there yes, was an episode where he yeah. had Crichton had them all lined up and was actually talking to them and they do have subtly different personalities so uh, that's why lister goes and swaps the heads because he thinks he might be able to convince one of the other heads to 
to, to do, do yeah. what he wants him to do and and, uh, and yeah. he's out and he's up for it as long as he needs yeah, to as long as he disables his was it guilt is it the, the behavioral controls and the or behavior protocols or something That's and, yeah it. and the guilt yeah i love the yeah. the opening up of the back of the head and it's like a it little, looks so good it's like, like a little um car bonnet he has a little thing yeah. that he has to prop <laughs> it up with like a car bonnet but that's the thing as well. I think, like we were saying about the the sets and the corridors, it seems that the budgets increase even little things like that. Because I'd argue, like showing that, and and when you looked at it, it was obviously it's not you don't see it for long, but it's quite intricately detailed for such a small thing. And I just think if that had happened anywhere in the last six series, it wouldn't have been as detailed. Or they might not have shown it at all. You know, they might have done it from like looking, you know, from behind where you can't mm. see inside, sort of thing. So I just, again, like the like the B deck sets. I just thought the design work on Crichton's inner mechanisms, if you like, look really look really good and reminds you that he is a robot essentially. Because obviously he's so human at the same time, you sort of forget about it. But no, it was cool. Um, but before Lister can get the time drive, you know, Crichton's weird behavior starts to show, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the he's, without the morality of his uh, his chip, you know, usually he would get a warning or a subroutine would activate if if something he's about to do shouldn't be done for moral or you know uh, etiquette reasons but that doesn't happen uh, and so you get him yes. what does he do he, he doesn't care about healthy food he serves really unhealthy food he uses a groinal t- attachment <laughs> to stir people's tea he starts yeah. smoking yeah quite uh, why an android yeah. would yeah. need to smoke um or, or would have was... the mechanism to smoke i don't know but hey it was it was his casual responses to it though. Like for what, first he says, "Oh, like is was it is one of my chips overheating again?" And then when they keep going, he's like, "Oh, do you want me to go yeah. outside?" <laughs> it's just like outside to where? Like it's just great. Yeah, great delivery. Yeah, I, I just love that scene. It's, it's not that he he's turned evil or anything. He no, just doesn't no. care. He just doesn't care. He's just like he's yeah. just like yeah, I'm just gonna do what I feel like. I'm not, I don't. I he's not like I'm gonna go out of my way to hurt people. But he's like I you know just yeah comes into my head just do whatever now you get some great lines from from robert llewellyn as who always does a fantastic job um but they um lister says hey let's do it and quite this Crichton is in agreement so i can't remember did the others re- why because obviously they all go on to the gemini 12 to get it do the other two just sort of I give guess in? so i guess i'm trying to remember after Crichton had is he like the voice of reason Crichton? i guess, so. I guess I... they they trust him that if he's saying actually i've worked out that it would be perfectly fine and we won't affect anything in history then they trust him i guess I mean, I to be fair, so. he is the most competent member of the crew. <laughs> yeah, if you if you had to pick one on a regular day, you'd you'd probably pick Crichton, wouldn't you, for your own safety? So they they do head aboard the Gemini Twelve once again. They get the time drive, and Lister instructs them to go to it's a curry house in London somewhere. And he says at the back, nice and nice and quiet. Um, that goes wrong because this Crichton, without his this head, should I say, has not programmed the time drive before. And uh, they end up in Dallas on November the 22nd, 1963, which for any of you keen historians out there is, of course, the day that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And I knew as soon as I saw the motorcade, I don't know what it was, like the front of the car, I was like, oh, God, we're doing JFK. I was like, I just and I, don't, I got a lot of thoughts because obviously Red Dwarf, has, we've dabbled with like historical figures before. I mean, a lot of them were in that, um, what was it called? The 
I think it was the series four finale, Meltdown, you mm. know, the wax figure war sort of thing. There was lots of historical yep. characters in that. And JFK so not... has been mentioned himself several times. He has, yeah. And... Was he in the Meltdown episode? I can't remember. Was there a JFK? Uh, I think it was Abe Lincoln, uh, wasn't it, of the yeah, president? Oh, no, possibly. Was it? Was they it might have there? mentioned him as being remember. one of the fallen or something. I, I can't quite remember. Yeah. But he's definitely been mentioned in other episodes as well. It's JFK and Hitler seem to get mentioned throughout the throughout the run of this show <laughs> two big hitters but um yeah as soon as i saw the motorcade i was like right how how on earth are we gonna do this um but sure enough they get beamed in and they accidentally tip uh the assassinator lee harvey oswald out of the window um so what did you what did you think of this whole these like first few minutes then when they arrive in in dallas like their sort of discovery about where they are or what's happening. I, I love the discovery about where they were. That moment where <laughs> the they're, they're like yeah. talking about, oh, this is this could be, uh, you know, this is Dallas, and they realize where they where they are in time. But then they they're discussing what you know what happened then, yes. and they're talking about the shooter and that he was in the book depository. And then literally <laughs> as they're standing that between Crichton and the cat, to having this conversation, is a big box that says. Dallas Book Depository, <laughs> and just the double take yeah. that Robert Llewellyn does when he sees that. It's yeah. hilarious. Great bit of physical comedy. He, he almost glues his face to it. He's so close to it anyway, but it's, yeah, it's good. And um, so then we get this whole bit when they realise where they are. Um, Obviously, they've tipped Lee Harvey Oswald out the window, so he's missed. Um, but he's not fallen out straight away. He, he we get this um, surprising. Now I, I'm not going to say it's too long. In my, uh, Adam's recurring joke of this went on too long. But the whole bit of Leavi Oswald sort of walking to one side, um, you know, and getting the wire and coming. Yeah, to, you know, that whole bit. It, it just it felt it. Part of me thinks that could have been done quicker. I don't know how, but it. Just, I don't. What did you think? Yeah, that there was part bit? of me. I mean wondering what what he was doing <laughs> like okay he was going oh i mean yeah, he, he tied like... the thing around him it clearly didn't help <laughs> so <laughs> yeah like why did he do that like, yeah, what was but the... you know i i like i quite liked the where they keep on doing stuff that results in him eventually falling like it, not only do they knock yes, him out and they yeah. don't realize while this is happening they knock him out initially then when he's about when he's clinging on they close the window on him accidentally oh, they and they don't the realize yeah. then then they're pulling the uh, wire which actually just as he's come in the other another window pulls him back out the window again uh so all of that was good it, it, but you're probably right it just took a bit long and there was stuff in there that like I don't know, why is he doing that <laughs> yeah like what what is what is this for um you do get that great shot once they realize he's gone they pick up his sniper rifle and it, it well, subverted my expectations, that shot where Kat's holding it and he's at the window, like, what's what's everyone what's everyone looking at? And I, I thought that would be where they say, like, why is everyone looking at us? You know, like yeah, everyone looking up at this straight these four strange people holding a gun. But um the FBI bust in, um, of all people. And what do they say? It's like you're you're under arrest for for killing Harvey Oswald, who who was, who was there, who was saving the president from your assassination attempts, because they, yeah, basically they think he they're assass- trying to assassinate yes, the president, and yeah. Harvey Oswald, because wasn't Harvey Oswald a soldier or something? Is that right? Let am me I, find out. I was I, trying. I was trying to remember because then yeah, that I, might explain why they think he's 
there to help. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. A former U.S. Marine. Yeah. yeah. So they might yeah. think, oh, the former U.S. Marine uh, was trying to stop you. As, as yes, good Marines yeah. should do. Not bad Marines. As, who... No, not like him. No. No, but um, yeah, they said it really fast. I just wanted to make sure I'd heard it right. It was all like very boom, crash, wallop, and oh, okay. yeah, it's one of those lines. I don't think you meant to think about it too much. It's no, just uh, probably not. just quickly rattled off. Hmm. But That's they they joke. give um they give the time drive a kick to get out of it, and they uh and as <laughs> I guess a pastiche on America. What do Americans do when something happens they don't understand? They shoot it. Apparently, uh, they disappear. They shoot thin air, and then what's the thing on the top of the box that disappears? The second thing? I don't know. It was a little... Oh, God, what was it now? Because the time drive was on the floor, so it wasn't the time... Just, there was two, wasn't there? They disappear. They start shooting where they stood. And then something on a box yeah. disappears. And then they start shooting at that. I saw that disappear. And at and the I time, I went, what, it was. what was that? And then I didn't think anything yeah. of it again. It's very quick. Like, when the shot comes on, it literally disappears like that. And I can't remember what it was. Um... Oh, well. But yeah, it's just, I guess that's just a little jab at, you know, the American stereotype of, oh, what, what do they do and they don't understand? They shoot. Obviously, that's a, a general stereotype. We know not all Americans are like that. Um, no, but there but might be forward... some, uh, no. especially more recently, some commentary about the police's... Um, oh, yes. Uh, ...in America's uh, eagerness to bring out their weapons. Shoot yeah. first, ask questions later. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. But... Um, They've gone forward three years. They're now in 1966, same location. Um, and But everything, everything's gone. Everyone's gone. It's like a, a wasteland. It's like a... It reminded me a bit of I Am Legendy, that you know, like deserted streets and all that sort of stuff. Um, and from a newspaper, I love as well, you know, when Crichton scans the newspaper mm. and he does that like, little head thing, like that made me chuckle a little bit, such a small thing. Um, but we, a lot yeah, of stuff it's happened. Like that, so, the, the city's deserted. Yeah. It seems very dystopian within three years. And, and yeah, why we're left wondering so why would J- why would saving JFK do this? Because JFK generally, I would say, I mean, obviously, it, it probably slightly depends yeah, on your it political seemed a pretty innings, good. But um, for the most part, generally deemed sure, as, sure. as a good president who did good things. So... Mm what what yeah. could have gone wrong in those three years um yeah it was an interesting commentary though wasn't it because it was he was impeached because well in this realm for yeah for it, impeached affairs, with affairs it? with Which a mob boss did come out after girlfriend. he died of course so uh it would be a more serious impeachment yes. than just and, having an affair because there would be implications that you had links to the mob or something like that but then it goes on to say that J. Edgar Hoover who the became mob, the next absolutely. president actually was controlled by the mob um, yes. because they had uh, pictures of him at a uh, transvestite yeah. orgy mm. okay sure um, yes. so <laughs> something yeah I did sure. wonder what yeah. the kind of but... like what they were trying to say for this is like, well, hold on. Do the writers think that JFK was was bad? But they, but Rimmer does point out that like, you know, he was a good man that had a particular flaw, and that flaw was women. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and and he's right as well. He says that it came out after he died because I think a lot of what we know about JFK now regarding women and all that sort of stuff did, was revealed after he died i think so. yeah well there's the whole marilyn monroe stuff yeah as well. and i guess it, it makes you question doesn't it if if that stuff 
obviously not the fictional stuff, but if the real stuff we know, like the Marilyn and all that stuff, if that had came out during when he was still president, maybe stuff like maybe not an impeachment, but you know, questions would have been raised. Sure, I mean, look what happened to Bill Clinton with his affair. He got was mm. he? No, he wasn't impeached, or maybe they tried. I can't remember. But um, I think they tried. I think the, I think they may have got. I can't remember even if they got to impeachment trial yeah. status. I, I don't entirely understand how impeachment works. It's something like, have you been impeached if they start the trial, or is it only if you are f- removed from office that you have been impeached? Who I'm knows? Not, the the terminology it's a bit is out a whack, bit confusing. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's, it, it yeah, as you say, it poses an interesting question, and I say Rimmer sort of the voice of that reserved voice of reason, sort of explaining like what this concept is, I guess. But um, it's still. Yeah, another another Rimmer being sensible and yeah. uh, you know uh, level headed for, for yeah. a change, which is nice. But with everyone deserted because they put it down to the fact that a nuclear base was built was built in Cuba, so the Cuban missile crisis never happened never because that because that they made a deal, the Soviets made a deal with the mafia who That's controlled it. the president, yep. and then everyone fled. Uh, so they set up camp. And uh, we get a very interesting joke here, don't we? When they're eating round the <laughs> round the fire, um, they believe it's chicken. Uh, Crichton reveals it's a, a dead human that they'd found earlier, mm. and uh, because he doesn't care, because he's not, you know, he's not got his behaviour controls or guilt trip. But uh, the reactions from Crichton and Lister are clear for all to see. Rimmer does that little snide laugh as well, doesn't he? Like he's he's like because <laughs> he's not yeah. eating. What did you think about this joke? Um, I I didn't hate it. Um, no. I'm not going to say I laughed out loud because I I don't. I was going to come to this. I, nothing in this episode particularly made me laugh out loud. Oh, okay. So, uh, uh, not that I think it was a bad episode, but it wasn't a particularly funny episode. Sure. Um, it was sure. more of an adventure, uh, exciting sci-fi adventure. But um, this particular, I don't know why. Do you have a problem with? No, this no, no. I, I, I think, or... I think the the reveal of it, and obviously because we're seeing them like eat it, the like it, it just it, it made me, I guess, just feel more like grossed out than, yeah, than laugh. I did uh, like, which, which is fine. Like if that was the intention, like I'm not saying it shouldn't have been in there, but yeah, I think just the. It's I did like Rimmer's yeah. reaction though, that little laugh. That was um, yeah. that was amusing. Yeah. And again, that's glimmers of like well, not his old character, but just him. Like where, where Yeah. He, he gets off sometimes on seeing the others sort of suffer for their whatever it is, yeah. But Cap's clearly traumatized by it. He's like, We need to get out of here right now. We need to we need to sort this out. There's the whole thing about the time So you know earlier in the last scene, Rimmer's like, Oh, the time drive's frozen. And then after sitting by a fire for 10 minutes, they're like, oh, it's working now. Yeah, because uh, it was only broken because he'd uh, Crichton had pressed the buttons too hard or something. So maybe it just kind yeah. of like freed up itself, like it became unstuck or whatever, whatever he'd done to it. It just kind I of think eased it, itself it, out. It, it, yeah, it seemed like, a oh, we need to stick around for a little bit so we can have this scene. How do we get them to stick around? Oh, yeah. let's, you know, let's freeze the time drive. Going back to the chicken uh, or the not chicken mm. You mentioning Cat being disgusted. Maybe I remember, like, vaguely early seasons, maybe season one or season oh, two. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there were... that He made a comment or something about eating one of them if, like... And, oh. and it was played as, like, something because he's a cat. Yeah. Uh, it might, you know, he might eat... He'd eat the meat if it was there. Interesting. And to survive. So that's an interesting 
character change, if I'm remembering that correctly. It's, you know, that was, what, six months or so yeah. ago that we saw that <laughs> episode. Was, yeah. And I have a terrible memory, so oh. I might be misremembering that. Do let us know in the yeah, comments if do, I am. Yeah, please do, please do. But yeah, it was. But that just struck me, just as you said that, as like, oh yeah, didn't he say some? I'm sure he was okay with eating humans before yeah. <laughs> at some point in the past. Yeah, but not this time. Not back in '60s America, apparently. Um, so they time drives working. They deduce they need to try again. They need to set history on course. They need to stop their. Uh, the, get my terminology. They need to stop themselves from doing what they did. So uh, they go back. They send Oswald up to the next floor up. Uh, but of course that changes the trajectory and he again misses um yeah so they mm. so they're running out of options now because now they've got to do it again um but you know what is it they say we've sent him to the top floor we come in on the fifth floor and now we're on the fourth floor so things are getting pretty desperate but um lister has an idea um they go to 1965 uh was it called? Is it Ilford Airway? They go to an airport. Yeah, that's it. They, they go, go to the airport that would would in their timeline, mm-hmm. normal timeline, have been renamed JFK okay. Airport. Yes, and they they arrive at the time where JFK has been impeached. He's been arrested, and he's being carried off to an open prison. Uh, re- the time drive is very accurate because they arrive like by the uh, plane. This is something I've, I forgot to mention it earlier, oh, but because. <laughs> If you remember in the last episode in series six, uh, they mention, in fact, there's a whole joke about it, that the time drive can't take them uh, in anywhere in space, only in time. And there's a whole joke about them, like time traveling to the 15th century. Oh, yeah. And yeah. them still being in space. But here, it seems to be able to just take them, you know, all over the place, take them back to Earth, <laughs> you know, takes them different places. I think it's just one of them, isn't it? Yeah. They're like, just, just forget about it. They're fake. But hey, maybe when the timeline corrected itself, it, it changed the time. Dra- yeah, who maybe. Knows? Who, who, who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, because I was going to say, they arrive on the airway and no one sees them. Like, they're literally there by the plane. Cat's in his bright yellow coat and everyone's just like, eh, we'll just, well, you know, we'll just crack on. And then I was going to say, you know, Lister himself is the only one who goes into the van to chat with JFK. Mm. What are the other three doing? <laughs> just hanging outside, <laughs> just, you know? They're just no, but the cars, the van's moving. So are they just are they just still at the at the airport? Yeah, just probably like, just like having a just, bit of a sunbathe on the tarmac. <laughs> I just found it really, yeah, because yeah, I, I'm not saying you you should have all four of them in there. That'd probably be a bit too cluttered. But I was just like, okay, we're moving. Like, what what, what are they what are they doing? Um, but yeah, Lister goes to chat with JFK. Um, to essentially ask him, hey JFK, would you mind coming with me back in time to assassinate yourself? To become um, the man we, behind the grassy knoll. Now, is the, this is a conspiracy theory? Yes, yeah? There, there's yeah a well-known yeah. conspiracy theory that there was a second shooter from behind the grassy knoll, and it wasn't uh, Oswald. What are the chances? Yeah. <laughs> and actually, it's been referenced before. In the, I've remembered now. Well, I say remembered. I looked it up on IMDb. But the um, hmm. the the previous reference to JFK that I was remembering was in Time Slides, where. Crichton makes a joke about because that's when they can time travel through the photos, and he makes a yes. joke about that they could go back to Dallas in November 1963 and shout uh. "duck" while standing behind the grassy knoll. <laughs> so, in retrospect, that's quite prophetic. <laughs> that joke, yeah, that they're saying it to themselves. Yeah. Um, because of course they they do get him to to do it. We we get quite a nice little bit that Lister tells him about. 
what you were saying as well, like how from dying when he does, he's remembered as like the great liberal president, the one who did all these did all these things. And that's what and I know I've complained about like messaging before in Red Dwarf when it's like again, the one I always give is, you know, the justice episode yeah. where it's like shoehorned in, in the last that this big speech about justice and it just comes out of nowhere. But I don't know. I, I quite like this. Well, one. here it doesn't it come was... out of nowhere. It, it serves yeah, a purpose. Yeah. It's to convince mm. him to do this deed, to kill himself effectively, to um, to, mm. sh- to assassinate himself. Um, so it serves a purpose in the plot, whereas that one injustice was kind of like the episode, the plot had ended and just randomly out of nowhere, Lister starts this monologue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then falls, yeah, down, and then falls a down a hole. As we all remember. Uh, so this one, it, it felt right within the plot of the episode and, and it fit fit perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with him convinced, they travel once again back to 1963 behind the grassy knoll. Um, and I've got to say, this whole final bit, I actually found quite, it was played quite dramatically in like for the, uh, I guess if you want to say like the heaviness of the scene, like the music's quite somber, the way in which it's all framed, the fact that of course it's uh, well, obviously J- JFK assassinating himself. Um, we don't hear, I think Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald's first shot. They play it silent, which I thought was an interesting choice. But um, yeah, I, I found it. I, I found it quite nice from a purely dramatic standpoint. Like you know, and he walks away as well, and he fades, and he's like. I can't remember his exact words, but you know what he says to him before he does it? Like, thank you for giving me another chance to yeah. uh, be born or something. Um, I don't know. I, I really liked it. I really liked the fact they yeah. just played it for straight drama. Obviously, until the very, very end, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, what did you think about this whole this whole like last minute then, the whole of JFK I thought it was assassinating himself, very I guess? Poignant. And I, I liked I liked the timey-wimey nature of it, because I love a timey-wimey story. Um, I like... Uh, yeah. uh, like I was saying earlier, this episode feels less like a comedy sitcom episode and more like a interesting sci-fi plot. If it's less about the funny jokes and more yeah. actually just a really good sci-fi episode. Um, and, you know, you're in to Red Dwarf just for the comedy. Maybe you're missing the laughs a bit, I guess. Not that it didn't have some funny moments, but it. But it, it, I think the focus of this episode were more... Yeah the interesting cipher and the poignant moments like this at the end. Yeah. No, I just, uh, in all we've watched so far, I'd say this is one of the most uh, dramatically successful mm. like sequences, because again, like sometimes we've, I think we've said that where they'll be going for the drama and then they'll put some comedy in, which sometimes works and then some, but sometimes can ruin the, what, the, what they were going for. Um, but I like the fact they kept, they kept this one right until he fades. I thought it was very poignant, very powerful. Uh, you know, they do have a fun ending. They remember that with Lister going, oh, Smeg, I forgot to ask him, are there any curry houses in Dallas? And the others don't say anything. And they just <laughs> gather around him and absolutely beat the crap out of him, which I must <laughs> I found that quite a funny ending, the fact they didn't say anything. They all just gathered yeah. around him. Like, that was quite good. Um, yeah, no, I thought that the last like few minutes, including the funny ending, yeah, I, I really liked it. I'd say it's actually one of my... Uh, favorite endings to Red Dwarf. It was so good. Far. It didn't really feel it. Like, rushed. It it ended on a joke, but it it fit with what had just happened before. The joke didn't just randomly come out of nowhere. Um, yeah, it was good. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is series seven, episode one, 
Tika to ride. Uh, it might interest you to know, Phil, that apparently uh, Doug Naylor, so um, for those who don't know, uh, Rob Grant is the other yeah. one, isn't it? I've said his name right there, I think. Rob Grant was the one who left in this interlude, um, but Doug Naylor stayed on. And um, he believed that Series 6 suffered from like a Monster of the Week problem. Oh. So with this one, obviously there isn't a monster as such. It's more like time travel. So knowing that, do, do you think... Knowing, obviously no spoilers yet, please, but knowing Series 7 as you do, would you say they do steer away from having, like, monsters or, like, you know? Yeah, I would, actually. I think it's probably more character-driven than the previous series. It, mm-hmm. um, the episodes probably, yeah, they focus more on the crew and the situations they find themselves in. They're still sci-fi situations, though. And in a way, that kind of feels a bit more like the early seasons because it was with like series three, four, and even more so five and six that it became more of an adventure series. And it still is that, definitely. And I think this is a different type of adventure, but um, more of a character-focused one. Well, sign me up. I really enjoyed it. Like I, I really dug it, so long may it stay. But let's do our regular segments then. So, funniest character, Phil, who who won it for you? I know you said this wasn't one where you like it's laughed out loud a lot. It's not funniest character, it's favourite character. Sorry, I've typed it twice. Favourite character. <laughs> it's funniest moment, <laughs> favourite character. That's the one, that's the one. Um, I'm actually going to give this one to... It was a toss-up, because Crichton is really good in this, mm-hmm. and seeing him be the, the other version of Crichton, the other head, head number two, spare head two... And with his chip rem- there removed yeah. or disabled or whatever, that was there was a lot of funny moments in that, and it, it did give Robert Llewellyn a chance to do something a bit different, uh, to be that kind of narcissist version of uh, of the character, which we had seen once before in the polymorph episode when also his guilt got removed. In that episode, he became a bit more in a similar vein then. Yeah. So that was good, and I like that. But I am going to give it to Lister. Okay. I feel just it feels like his episode mm. and I don't think I've I've chosen Lister since really early back yeah when yeah the first couple of seasons it's always been another character and this one is the first episode where I felt really focused on him the plot is driven by him uh and his desire for courage and, and all of the <laughs> all of the things that they do is driven by thing choices he makes Including yes. the resolution, it's his idea to go back and convince JFK. He he's the one that goes in and convinces him and gives him that sort of heartfelt talk about it, and yeah. convinces him to do it. And uh, so yeah, I'm going to give it to Lister. Nice, good favorite. choice. Uh, I also tossed it up between Lister and Crichton as well. Um, I'm going to give it to Crichton uh, for the reason that. Uh, well, I laughed a lot with him. You know, obviously when he goes sort of off the rails of the head swap, Robert Llewellyn does a great job at, like you said earlier, it's the same character, but it's a slightly different variation of that character. And I always think when you do that, um, especially in sci-fi, there's always like a fine line with it either being too similar or vastly different where it feels like a completely different character. And I think Robert Llewellyn did a really good fine line of the two. Um and yeah, just all the physical comedy that we mentioned. It just it's the one I remember the most. So uh, Lister again, for all the reasons you said, great like character portrayal, had some really lovely moments. The scene with him and JFK in the prison van was really good. But no, I'm gonna give it to Crichton this time around, I think. 
So um, what about your funniest moment then? Considering, as you said, it's an episode you didn't find like laugh out loud funny. Yeah, I did have to really rack my brains to get one here because it's it's not the funniest episode in the world, I don't think. Uh, but, there, you know, there are quite a few funny moments. And I think it, there, there, it's not the funniest episode, but there are an occasional few funny yeah. moments where and they mostly come from Crichton. Mm-hmm. And, and his reactions. So there was like how he was around the table in Starbucks after his chip had just been removed, stirring the tea with his groin. Yes, yeah. That was quite funny. But I'm going to give it to the double take next to the boxers when they realize where they are in the warehouse. Nice. I think between him and Kat, that just kind of that discussion. And while we can see the boxers yes. that say where they yeah. are and then the double take, the look on his face. That's I'm going to give it to that. But it, it's not a massive amount in this that. Um, you know, there's been lots of stuff in other episodes, which are a lot. That's fair. That. That's completely fair. Um, for mine, I've got to give it to, it's a bit, well, it's a bit of a cheat, but I've, I've called it guiltless Crichton. Uh, so like, yeah, the, the breakfast scene when we first see sort of gone off the rails, um, the moments, the moments, uh, even though I was like, Ooh, a bit gross, like his reaction to the whole, like eating the human thing. Like he's just so nonchalant about it. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this little variation of crying. So if I have to pick a specific bit, I'll go with the breakfast scene uh, when we first sort of the other characters acknowledge it. Uh, just some great physical comedy, great variation, as we said. Just Robert Llewellyn's just great, isn't he? We've said it before, but he just is. So that's uh, mine. But I do agree with you. It's probably not yeah the funniest episode in terms of like pure comedy. Um, but yeah. So what about out of 10, Phil? How many scutters are you giving Tika to ride? Uh, I've gone back and forth on this because I do really like the episode. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't know how much to factor in the fact that I wasn't laughing. I mean, it's a comedy okay. program. Yes. So maybe I should be. But I didn't like mind it in the episode. So it's, it's I've really gone back and forth. I think I'm going to sell somewhere in the middle of where I was going back and forth between and go for seven and a half. Oh, Okay. I mean, okay. it could be high. I mean, it it could be as high as eight and a half, but I'm oh, just, right. okay. I, it's somewhere around there. Somewhere it's it's a really difficult one to place because I don't know how much I want to factor in the fact that I didn't find it particularly funny, yeah, yeah. but I did still find it a great episode to watch and I had, it was still entertaining. Yeah. So I'm a That's bit conflicted, fair. but Ooh. I don't know. What do you give with giving it? Well, we're going to have a discrepancy because I gave it a 9 out of 10. Oh, okay, um, even higher. Okay. I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I loved I loved the fact we picked up where we left off. Like we said, the some of the new sets, really expansive. It's always nice when we're... As, as great as Starbug is, it's nice when we're not on Starbug, if that makes sense. I like when we have locations and stuff like that. Um, all the, the emphasis on like character and the more dramatic stuff, as we mentioned, was great. Really dug it. Uh, yeah, it's not as it's not as comedic, but I, I kind of like the change of pace mm. at the minute, to be honest. I kind of like we're going for something. Obviously, I don't know if, if if it continues like this throughout all of Series 7 or if they mix it up a bit. But just going off this, I, honestly, I came away from it and I was like, that was a really solid episode of Red Dwarf. And I've said it before, but it's one of those that if you ask me randomly, like, oh, you know, out of all the... Say we get to that point when I've watched it all, you know, you'd say, right, Adam, what what Red Dwarf episodes come to your mind? This would probably be one of them I'd be able to yeah. tell you about. You, you know what? I'm go, I'm going to change. Oh, um, all right. Just, okay. I, listening to you 
talk about it there. I am going <laughs> to boost it up to the 8.5 because I oh, was hovering nice. between them anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm going to boost it up to 8.5 because it is, it is a really well-structured episode as well. Yeah. There is some, you know, in terms of the pacing and everything, it works really well. Mm. In terms of, I mean, just from the cinema, the cinematography of it it looks so good mm. um so much of a step up from the previous season so it does deserve a bit more for that i think having reconsidered it briefly there so no i'm gonna raise it to 8.5 oh there you go 8.5 a night strong start to series set and and people yeah. tell me this is the one where it all goes downhill really well i see i i've never agreed with that right. i've i've said from this because uh, we've had a few guests on that have gone oh yeah series, series seven and eight and I've always gone, actually, I think Series 7 is actually really good. Uh, it, it, series 8 has its iffy moments, yeah. though. But uh, they, they, people lump them together, I think, because of the, of break. the changing cast that's yeah. coming half a little bit later. Oh, okay. Um, and also, uh, so that crosses over the two. and So they get lumped together as an era, I think. Right. And, and the fact that they they aired so close together, mm. Um and separated from series six by three years and then separated by 10 years after series eight until the next episode. So they, they're kind of considered as an era, but I do think they're very different from each other. Series seven and series eight. Okay. So series seven is definitely the better one of them in my opinion. Well, there you go. We'll have to see as we progress on, but that's Tika to ride, Tika to ride folks. Hope you enjoyed listening to our, opinions on it and join us next time as we progress through series seven which has eight episodes instead of six this time it's the first of those which apparently again according to wikipedia could be i could be wrong but um apparently it was done to meet u.s syndication requirements yeah yeah because um which which writer was it that stayed on? I've forgotten again. Um, it was Doug Naylor. Doug Naylor. So Doug Naylor was very keen for it to be syndicated in America and also to... Because I think this was after the failed American pilot. So, right. um So he wanted it to to the, for the original show to be syndicated in America. He also wanted to try and get a movie off the ground. So there yes. were various things with this series, like the increase in budget, like the, the making it look more cinematic. And the increase in episodes, which were geared towards convincing people that it could make a movie as well yeah. as airing on US television. So, mm, okay. yeah, it's a shame that movie never happened. Well, could happen one day. They're all still around. You never know. Maybe. <laughs> stranger, thing, stranger things have happened over the years. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, that's it, folks. But Phil, where can the good people of the interwebs find yourself? You can find me on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Philip Hawkins with one L. And uh, this podcast goes up there, so you might be listening to it there anyway. But if you're not, go check it out uh, for other pop culture commentary as well on things like Doctor Who, the MCU, Star Trek, and basically anything that really takes my fancy. And uh, for myself, you can find me on YouTube, Adam Martin with a Y. Like Phil, I do videos on Doctor Who and a range of other pop culture related stuff. You can also follow me on Twitter, Adam Martin AMTV. And also give this podcast Twitter account a follow. Um, all At All Dead Dave it is. Uh, we've had all a Dead fair Dave amount Pod. of new... F- all Dead Dave Pods. Sorry, you're, sorry, my memory is very fishy today i've been playing around with a time drive myself i think or i need to do what Crichton does and sit down and have a memory clear out um but yeah all dead dave pod we've had a, a fair amount of new followers recently so thank you we um yeah let us know what you think of the episode tag us on twitter leave your comments on the on the video 
yeah, we love your feedback. And until the next episode, hope you all have a good week and we'll catch you next time. See you later. Bye.
with a dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave.